have a conversation now about a science of sexuality. Is that possible? We're going to get into it right now with our next guest, who's a PhD student at the Centre for Comparative Literature at the University of Toronto, Rayanne Deboos. Rayanne, thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Hello, how are you? Yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm glad to You're have welcome. you sort of explain your research and, uh, yeah. and and fill in you know myself and also our listeners here because the way that I understand it is that your most recent research sort of tries to make a science out of sexuality, but there's two opposing schools of thought that, mm-hmm. that kind of divide this theory already or this yeah. field of study. So yeah. psychoanalysis and psychoanalysis, excuse me, and queer theory. I need you mm-hmm because you'll do a much better job than I will to explain each of those. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll sum it up very, very briefly. You know, so that, that was my premise. You know, uh, so, you know, when I wrote this article, I really wanted to go against, you know, sort of the anti-scientific trend we have when it comes to discussing about sex or, or sexuality or desires. And, you know, and I mean when people, I don't know, think about crushes and, and matches on Tinder and only ascribe it, you know, a, a, a matter of chance or, I don't know, stars aligning in a certain way. Okay. And actually, you know, I, I like that, that kind of imagery. I, I think, you know, there is a poetic side of, of desire and queer, queer theorists will defend that. And, and I think science is, the, is not the enemy of poetry. And that's why in the piece I go to psychoanalysts and people like Sigmund Freud, who, you know, we know Freud from his interpretation of dreams, right? And, you know, he, he showed us that sexuality and desire do have a logic that we can map out scientifically, even though, and this is what queer, the- queer theorists will be telling us mostly, that these desires can take creative turns precisely like the dreams we have, right? Um, and that's why at the end of this article, I really try to push my readers to think of, of thinking about desire in information theory terms. That's my way of reconciling psychoanalysts and queer theorists. Basically what that means is, you know, the way information travels in society, think fake news or I don't know, the latest song of Taylor Swift and the buzz around it. Mm-hmm. These can be studied. We do that every day in university, uh, depending on the department. And, you know, even though we can study them, we also think, oh, they're unpredictable. And, you know, every public relations agent will tell you, yeah, they, they don't know how a certain news is going to echo in, in the world. And that's sort of what I was trying to argue, you know, that sexuality sort of follows the same laws, that maybe it's not stars aligning, which make us compatible with one person, but it may be an information network that's not aligning, you know, and that's a constellation we can study up close. So there could there could then be a science to sexuality, but with yeah. but with what sounds like a lot of variables there to consider. Well, that's the thing, right? Variables are tricky. You're right, um, but so psychoanalysts will tell you that these variables are all part of the conscious world, right? But you know, Freud his big discovery was that there's the unconscious, and the unconscious is sort of a more reliable you know, compass. Okay. It's, it's, the, it's the product of desires that have been, you know, fostering since childhood. And that's, that's sort of what we can map out when it comes to desire. So, okay, so you're talking about psychoanalysts here and that, and that theory around that. There's another component to this too, though. There's also queer mm-hmm. theory. So explain yes. that and how that works or eager, and either argues for or against making a science out of sexuality. Yeah, per- perfect. So, you know, queer theorists, a lot of people who read queer theory actually think that they're saying that we cannot make a science out of sexuality. Because when queer theorists, you know, rose in the 90s, 1990, you know, and, and around that time, they were saying that, oh, there's so much 
when it comes to sexuality. Look at drag artists. Look at how, you know, the, the kind of different um, representations of gender we have nowadays. They were saying, oh, sexuality is very dynamic, very creative. Now, people look, took that and said, oh, there you go. We can't explain sexuality. But actually, queer theorists were saying the opposite. They were saying it's so complicated that we might need a bigger model, you know, bigger data, right, that make sense of all of this. And that's what I was trying to say, that it, it's not the death of science now when it comes to sexuality and, and kind of, you know, we're actually heading to a point where we can actually understand how that dynamic and how complex our desires are. And I think that that's a really interesting point to emphasize and a really important one is that it is really dynamic. I don't want someone to perceive that what you're suggesting is that there's a science to sexuality and so therefore Mm -hmm. there's a a rule because that's not what you're arguing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, see, that's, that's that's the misunderstanding. People who misunderstood Freud beginning with him and, and onward. They thought, oh, you know, as you said, if there's a science, then it's rules, then nothing changes. Right. And of course, that's called science, right? But science doesn't need to be like that. Science can be about change. Actually, that's what science does, right? It, it evaluates, you know, one thing to another, from one form to another, right? Uh, and so that's what I'm trying to say, that, you know, we, we shouldn't let go of of our attempt to make a science of sexu- out of sexuality just because we think it's too wild or too crazy right or or too unpredictable no we can we can map things out without so much making it also a rigid sexuality that doesn't change hmm. You talk a little bit about this article, and you've referenced the article. It's in theconversation.com if you want to mm-hmm. check it out, um, about the information theory of desire. Can you yeah. expand on that a little bit? Yeah, okay. So I'll give you a little, little game for your audience. So okay. if, if your audience goes to ChatGPT, okay, and they ask it, write me a story, you know, a random story and see how it works, then have the audience ask ChatGPT, to rewrite that story, same story, without the letter A or B or X, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm arguing that actually sexuality is the same thing. A sexual experience is sort of like the same co- command we give to ChatGPT. Rewrite without the letter A, rewrite without the letter B. But what I'm saying is that, for example, say someone had a same-sex experience, okay? And, you know, afterward, it actually sort of creates this butterfly effect and they identify as gay the next week. Okay. Okay. Imagine a second person with the same experience, hypothetically, but the next week it does nothing, right? It, it doesn't change their sense of self. It doesn't change the way they identify themselves. What I'm saying is that it's actually, it follows the same logic as how we ask ChatGPT to rewrite the story. You know, if we ask it to change letter A or, or don't have letter A in that story, oh, that's a lot of words that need to be changed. But if we ask change letter X, eh, maybe you know, one word or two or three. And that's sort of what I'm saying. We, we can't know what a certain event in life is going to ask us, or rather ask our sexuality or the unconscious, or whatever you want to call it. We don't know what's the input, but it is an input. And that's, that's sort of what I'm saying. But if everyone's, okay, so using that metaphor then and your life experiences are the input mm-hmm. or the command in this yeah. example of using chat GPT to write yeah. a story or write a narrative of your life, then doesn't that detract from the idea of sexuality being a science because everyone's life events are going to be different? Um, so, well, th- this is a great question. So, you know, actually, it, it, we will have differences, right? It's going to depend. Each Each person will have a different kind of 
output, right? Because of their own experiences. That's true. But of course, now psychoanalysts, that's what, what they will say. Oh, we can look at trends. We can look at sort of, I mean, they will call it pathology, right? And of course, that has a negative side to it. But they're saying, oh, well, if, if sometimes people are experience, experiencing this thing, they might end up experiencing this other thing, right? Mm, but the thing okay. about psychoanalysis is that it's about the past. Freud never told someone, oh, this is what you should do tomorrow. Psychoanalysis is about description, not prescription. So, you know, it, it's more a history. So that's, what, that's sort of what we have to keep in mind. It's not a science in an experimental sense. And I said in my article that actually those who considered a science in the experimental sense, sense led to conversion therapy, right, and homophobia, and many terrible things in history. Mm. But that's why we need to think of it as a historical science. It helps us understand how come this desire came to us, but not what we know, what's the journey afterwards for that. I think that this field of study is so interesting. There's so many different layers that you can go into. Yeah. What, do you want, what do you want to do with this? Ultimately, what's the purpose of this research and what do you think is next? Um, oh, great question. <laughs> um, okay, so I think that for this research in particular, I'm really excited about it. You know, I think t today we're talking about, right, ChatGPT all the time. We're talking about AI. And we forget, you know, the I in AI, the intelligence that we have, and that could proceed in a similar way. I, I really want to push people to really believe in science, and, and I mean it in the most optimistic way. Like, that's how we start our convo, right? That we don't want to have rigid, a rigid view of sexuality. No, mm -hmm. it's actually very poetic, and we can understand that poetry, right? That's sort of my ambition for it. For later on, I don't know what that could flower into, but definitely a defense of science, a defense of thinking, and the defense of, you know, sort of just taking our time to think about what, why we're attracted to, to one person, why weren't we attracted to another? Because there's a reason. It's not just we didn't like the vibe of that person. No, we, we can really dig deep. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for your work on this and You're for welcome. sharing your thoughts today. Really appreciate it. Happy to share. Of course. Take care. That's Rianne Dabous, PhD student at the Center for Comparative Literature at the University of Toronto. If you want to check out that article, you can do so at theconversation.com, talking about a science of sexuality still being a possibility.